take the rich Neolibs are a bitch Medicare for all Bros can suck my balls Fuck your reply guys Please don't fuck your reply guys Just listen to reply guys Welcome back to Reply Guys The leftist feminist comedy podcast for the rest of us I am Kate Willett I'm Julia Clare Kate, so, how are you? I'm I'm pretty good. You know, uh, it's been a pretty tame week when it comes to Reply Guys for me. Same. I've also been trying to get off Twitter um, and it's not working. And I realized, because I realized recently that I, I haven't gone a day without using it in probably a few years. And that that's like really harrowing to me that it's so much of my, my focus and attention this hell app (laughs) yeah so you've never even like gone camping or anything like i don't i don't know i don't go i i should go camping just to get away from it i want to get one of those you can get like a a kitchen safe or something like that where you can basically lock something away for a certain like a prescribed amount of time and that really appeals to me for (laughs) your phone for my phone (laughs) yeah i took twitter off my phone for a while i mean i did too it didn't work i'm just checking in in safari (laughs) yeah same thing yeah Yeah. it's i i've been thinking about it because i do feel like i'm really addicted to social media and that it's the most boring addiction that i've ever had bad like it's you know if you're addicted to alcohol like at least you at least you you're, party fun. A lot. Yeah, you're fun <laughs> you know you'd be addicted to sex and then you're really fun yes but with twitter like it can feel like this soul sucking thing and you're like okay well i guess now i know a lot of information and yeah. how other people sort of feel about that information yeah and also how much information do i actually know i know a lot about a, a very niche sect of information i think now because of my i don't know i guess twitter there is a lot of news and i shouldn't bite the hand that feeds me although i make no money off of off of it (laughs) so (laughs) but it's the only way that i get attention in this world um is on twitter so what are you gonna do i don't know i'm not i'm i'm uh i'm i'm not like instagram hot i'm i'm twitter hot Yeah, I, that's why I have a bigger Twitter following, than Instagram following. Yeah, no, I I feel that way sometimes too. Where like my favorite way to express myself is definitely in the written word, and like it can be fun. Like it can be fun to tweet jokes, and it can be fun to like, you know, read what your friends are saying about different stuff. But I think sometimes Twitter gives me this illusion that I have some control over yeah. what's happening in the world, and I mean, I guess we kind of think that we do, right? Like we sort of think that we are able to influence things in one way or another. And if people talk about politics or feminism, that that is going to potentially lead to some sort of change. I don't know. I think the case could be made for and against, but yeah. And I think, well, one of the things that really frustrates me is that, um, I, you know, I have a lot of rage that I tweet at Joe Biden about Joe Biden and none of his supporters are on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. So. Do you reply guy him? Do you reply guy Joe uh, Biden? No, I don't have the energy. I'm too tired. He's, he's exhausting. Uh, no, I, I don't know. I, I also very rarely, if the only person that I reply guy is Ben Shapiro, <laughs> um, because he is, 
he just gets so upset about the wind blowing at him in the wrong direction. Like he is the gentlest snowflake I've ever seen in my life. He gets so upset about like president Obama was tweeting about the women, uh, the women's soccer team winning the world cup. And uh, Obama said like, congratulations to America's best team. And then Ben Shapiro replied to him like asterisks, America's best female soccer team. And I was like, you are such a fucking snowflake. I can't deal with you. What happened in your childhood? Yeah, normally I'm against any type of body shaming, but I will say that there's no way to explain <laughs> Ben Shapiro's personality without short guy stuff. <laughs> like there's just no way. And I, I say this as a person who stands only five one. I am yeah. I am short. This is my short community. <laughs> As a as a very tall woman, it is um, like a just a real fantasy of mine to just physically stand next to Ben Shapiro and make him feel insignificant. <laughs> I love Ben Shapiro. Like I love how he like challenges everyone to a debate. He I challenged know. AOC to a debate. He's such a fucking. And he's like, you don't want to debate me. Like he's a troll. Yeah, that's that's they all think that they're entitled to everyone's time. I really I can't deal with him. He's so exhausting that's that's where my my reply guy uh energy goes is to ben shapiro not not joe biden ben shapiro at this point feels more like punching up than joe Biden. well ben shapiro <laughs> is somebody who seems like he's had his brain totally broken by twitter because for him everything is or about reddit like, yeah to- well but specifically ben shapiro's whole strategy is like owning you know like yeah he'll just that's what I hate about Twitter so much. That's what really exhausts me about it is that I think that I, I do think that there are times when we have like we the collective we on Twitter have good discussions and we talk about real things. But in the especially in the political space, it just feels way too much like the entire goal is owning someone. And it's not even about being right. It's about like appearing morally superior yeah i mean and oftentimes i think for ben shapiro he's responding to people in you know with a lot of logical fallacies and he's just like he's not making sense a lot of the time yeah but it's just i think he has this dude thing where if you just seem nerdy and you say something with a lot of confidence (laughs) that there's a lot of people who will believe that you're right i know that's how we got jordan peterson too (laughs) oh my gosh those guys are the same they are the same yeah lobster daddy yeah (laughs) yeah and i think with both of those two men there's this thing where they are sort of sexually repulsive in a way yeah both for sure people keep making the joke that you know oh like no one wants to have sex with them and that's where they're like this or whatever which is like it's problematic jordan peterson's whole thing is like don't men shouldn't masturbate (laughs) yeah and eating only meat yeah it's it's definitely problematic to blame women in any way for the personalities of <laughs> men like that. But it definitely also seems like they do have this like deep sexual insecurity. <laughs> and I them in the bagel boss, man. Oh uh, my God. Can we talk about the bagel boss? man? He might, you know what? He might be the reply, the reply guy of the week. Okay. The reply <laughs> guy of the week, the bagel boss, man. All right. So there was a bagel boss, man. There was a man in a bagel boss. Define um, the term <laughs> bagel boss, man. Cause I've, <laughs> feel like that's not a thing for, for the listeners at home yes 
there was a, another short king in a bagel boss and he, yeah, there was this, um, this guy who was captured on someone's phone at a bagel boss, which is a bagel chain, I guess on Long Island. And he was just absolutely fucking screaming at women in this bagel shop about how it was like a projection of a lot of his own insecurities. And then he started saying he was just so angry, just like really going off and saying like, um, no one can tell me what to do. Like you're not my boss or my dad or yeah. God or something. Like just the three main dudes, just yeah, three dudes. the Holy Trinity. <laughs> Those are my, boss. my 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 three main dudes. Um, yeah. And he said he's like he started talking about dating apps, how he's discriminated against on dating apps for being a short king. You know, and I heard that this guy makes like a lot of videos of himself yelling at people about how he's short. That this is like his it. thing. No, I think it's true. I think no, he, I'm of course, of course, yeah. I can't believe it. It's, yeah, because I felt sort of bad for him originally. I did too. In the same way that I feel that touching on what we were talking about earlier, I do sometimes feel bad for incels, but it's only a pass. It's like a fleeting moment, and then you remember that they that like you go really deep in their reddit threats it's like a lot of justification of rape and a lot of really fucking dark horrible stuff but yeah i mean it's the same way you're just like oh man this is someone this is like a disaffected man who's been kicked by somebody yeah but i don't know you don't take that out on everybody around you you fucking psycho so this is what i've been thinking about a lot is that the internet has allowed people so many people to have some semblance of a community and for some people it's been like life-saving like for you know lgbt folks in rural places it allows them to have a community with one another or something like that but it's also allowed the worst people in the world to find each other. And I think that's really something that we have to reckon with. <laughs> well, it's how we found each other. It is. Yes. You and me. Yeah, the worst I am, people in I the world. I am talking. The worst people in the world started a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So let's jump into this week's topic, which is a hot Topic. It's a hot top. Um, We're going to talk about San Francisco values. <laughs> We're going to try to do the impossible, which is have a nuanced conversation about our current Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi. Can we do it? I don't know. <laughs> she's she's one of the, I mean, she's just been around so long. Uh, I, I've been doing a lot of yeah, research. Stop calling her old. Everyone's calling I, her you old. You know, I, yeah, that's why I like to use, um, I like to circumlocute that. And I just say she's been around for a long time. <laughs> yeah. Because normally when people say that a woman has been around, that means something very positive and they're being very feminist. Um, um, yeah. So little, little background on, on Nancy. I'm going to, I'm going to jump right in. Uh, Nancy, like so many of our, um, of our faves in the democratic party is 79 years old. Uh, she was first elected to Congress in 1987. She was sworn in in 1988. She's been serving for 31 years, 17 terms. Uh, she represents California's 12th district, which is most of San Francisco County and most of the city. She's kind of done everything in democratic politics 
Um, she except for tweet. <laughs> <laughs> no, she's tweeted, but she tweets, but it's bad. Um, yeah. she was born in Baltimore. She is the youngest of seven children, born to an Italian Catholic family. She's the only girl. Um, she was kind of born into like old-fashioned machine politics um, in the 50s. Uh, she was ra- well. She was born in the 40s, raised in the 50s and 60s. She attended JFK's inauguration in 1961. But her father, when she was born, was a Democratic congressman in Maryland, and he later became the mayor of Baltimore. And her mother was a Democratic organizer, and her brother later became also the mayor of Baltimore. So she comes from like a deeply political family, um, and from everything I've read about her, people did not really expect her to go into the family business per se. She got married. She like went to school, got married, had five kids in six years. Yikes. God bless. <laughs> I don't know how anybody does that. Um, but basically well, Julie, I'll tell you how people do that. Uh, you have sex. You have sex. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I will ask for a definition later. I'm still unclear. You can read about it works. on an Intel Reddit thread. I, I'm going to be scanning the threads to figure out how, how it works. Um, man, you have to have a cool jaw. R slash brain cells. Um, okay. Yeah. She's really done everything. Um, she was the chair of the California democratic party. And this was before she was elected to Congress. Yes. Uh, and she was doing this when her kids were young. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So she, she and her husband moved to, moved to San Francisco um, and then they kind of got involved in sort of tangentially in politics. And then she became chair of the California Democratic Party from 1981 to 1983. And then in her district, the representative, the congressman representing her district was dying and she was essentially hand selected to replace him. And she was selected because she had already shown herself to be amazing at fundraising. Like Mm -hmm. she lived in a mansion and she was hosting these big events and party leadership kind of zoomed in on her and was like, this lady is going to be so good for making the party lots of money. Yeah. And she was very, I mean, basically from her upbringing in a very political household was well-versed in that sort of old school machine politics style. It's interesting to talk about her in this context now, because when I read about her back then, it feels very far away from the speaker. She has become the, the leader that we know her to be. Um, I think she was more, a little bit more radical back then. Um, but basically when she was a freshman in Congress, um, it was even more sort of like old world, old rules than it is now. And she asked to address the full house um, as a freshman and was told no. And she kind of fought that until she was able to address the full house. And she the used... The full house is in San Francisco. It is in San everywhere Francisco. Everywhere you look, <laughs> everywhere. Oh, man. What a show. I've weirdly seen all of that show. I don't know why. As a child, I had bad taste. Um, People assume that San Francisco is this, like, super, super progressive place, you know, because it has been at the forefront of 
so many things in the LGBT rights movement. And I think there's a way where Nancy Pelosi has always been a little bit at odds with the culture of that city. Like she has been at various points way more progressive than she is now and even way more progressive than most members of Congress. But like in terms of where she's coming from, she's always been like slightly to the right of a lot of her constituents. And she stood out, I think, to the Democratic Party leadership uh, for the reason that she was so, so good at fundraising. And that's that for her, that's been like the kind of bedrock of her success. So to me, that like informs some of the things that she does now and why she makes the decisions that she makes. And she also has been shown time and again, and we'll talk more about this later, that she people the thing that people say about her over and over and over again is that she knows how to count and that she is satan that's another thing that people say about her yeah no she knows how to count meaning when it comes to she doesn't bring anything to a vote that she doesn't know she has the votes locked in for it that's what everybody says about her but anyways back in when she was first elected as a freshman she addressed the full house of congress and used that time to make a speech about the AIDS crisis at a time when it was flatly not being talked about nationally. Um, the entire Reagan, the entire Reagan administration, all of those years, he basically ignored it and kind of almost denied its existence. Um, but over the years, she kind of fought her way to um, to different leadership positions. She was minority whip from 2002 to 2003, um, minority leader from 2003 to 2007. And then in 2007, she became the first woman to be elected Speaker of the House when uh, Democrats took back the House. Um, and she's also, since then, she was minority leader again when they lost, and she's since then become one of only two speakers in the last 60 years to lose a speakership and then regain it. So she got her speakership back um, in this January in 2019 after the 2018 midterms. Um, so again, she has truly done everything that there is to do in democratic politics and it's hard to imagine a more polarizing political figure in our current landscape and some of that certainly has to do with the fact that she's a woman um chuck schumer is bad at his job and so bad really bad at his job and doesn't get anywhere near the shit that she gets um but i think I I do get I get frustrated with the with the way that everyone talks about Nancy Pelosi on the right and the left. Um, I'm sure she does also. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, I I have a very like conservative dad, so I talk to him a lot. He is my he is my conservative punching bag, and he is who I argue with all the time. Um, so I I have a pretty good idea about what. Conservative dads think. Conservative dads think, absolutely. Former cop, right? Former cop. Yes. Uh, Yeah, not good. Not a good... Not a a good thing. Um, But anyways, yeah. Okay, so I had this conversation with somebody about Nancy Pelosi, and uh, it was like a leftist, um, uh, uh, maybe six or eight months ago. Um, 
and he said, I think the left has a, has a lot more reason to be mad at Nancy Pelosi than the right. Like the left has a lot more bones to pick than Nancy Pelosi than the right does. And I think that that is an example of someone who is very out of touch with what, with the right. Um, because the reason why Nancy Pelosi has been such a linchpin for the Republican party is because of what she represents. She, well, she represents women, women. Yes. San Francisco. She, she's has like a highly pro choice rating. Although to be fair, she has supported anti-choice candidates and that's one of the bones to pick from the left. Absolutely. And that was one of the things that I, when she said, basically someone asked her, is there room in the democratic party for anti-choice candidates she said yes and i was like no there isn't but that's i mean but yeah basically she's been used as a whipping boy for the right because she represents san francisco which is gay gay very gay (laughs) um very gay very liberal so yeah let's talk about the aca because that is what everyone pretty much considers to be her crowning legislative achievement her crowning career achievement yeah and it's a thing that even many progressives who want a more aggressive solution to the lack of health care and health insurance in this country, like still are, you know, it resulted in tens of millions of people who were not insured having health insurance Absolutely. saved lives. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it was a, it's, it, you know, wasn't enough, but it was a huge step c- compared to where we were in the, in the right direction, I think. And uh, it was, it was passed basically almost entirely thanks to Pelosi's tireless work on it. Yeah. And this is, I think when people call her a bad bitch, yeah, not, not the people who are calling her a bad bitch. Ironically, the people who are sincerely calling her a bad bitch. I I think that this is probably more than anything else, what they're referring to. So if you've ever yes, queened Nancy Pelosi, this is, this is the Nancy that you are imagining. So, What happened is the House passes a bill that includes a public option. It's a little bit less corporate friendly than the Senate version. Um, It is not what the Congressional Progressive Caucus wanted, but it's more progressive than the Senate version. So she passes that. Mm -hmm. But then meanwhile, in the Senate, we have Ted Kennedy. Ted Kennedy passes away. Um, after a long fight with brain cancer and there's a special election to replace him. Um, and it's Martha Coakley, who's a Democrat and Scott Brown, who's a Republican in Massachusetts and Scott Brown ends up pulling up a huge upset and wins. And that kind of sends a chill down everyone's spine in Washington. And everybody basically thinks that ACA is dead because now it definitely doesn't have 60 votes yes. in the Senate. And there's two versions of the bill and they're mm-hmm. not the same. So yeah. people are not seeing the pathway to, to get it passed because um, there's no way that they can get to 60 votes. The House version is different than mm-hmm. the Senate version. And so people start declaring this totally dead. Barney Frank writes an obituary for the bill. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Rahm Emanuel, who is Obama's chief of staff at the time, uh, is advising Obama to kind of back off of this. Um, Chuck Schumer is saying that they should pursue a jobs bill instead. Um, Nancy Pelosi's not willing to let it go that easily um, or easily at all. Actually, she's really willing to fight for it. Um, She... Rahm Emanuel is proposing like just a kind of slightly expanded health care for low income children. Uh, Nancy Pelosi derisively refers to this as kitty care. She drama topped him. Yeah, she drama topped (laughs) him. And she she calls him an incrementalist, um, which is basically like calling him a little bitch. Yeah. Well, but also I think it's an interesting point because her criticism of Emanuel for being an incrementalist is could also be leveled against her now today. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, you know, and maybe for a lot of other things as well, but she was at that point in this particular fight, very opposed to a solution that was not going to do something dramatic and make a dramatic difference so she passes in the house the senate version of the bill she whips enough votes to do that um even though there are many people um who are afraid to vote for this Mm um so they basically they pass the bill that has already passed in in the house they passed the bill that has essentially already passed in the senate and to do that they had to remove the public option um but and people were like really afraid of losing their seats right because yes. there was a lot of remember this was like back in 2010 and there's all these ads airing on tv about like death panels mm-hmm. and like basically just a bunch of racist republicans are like oh no like obama's a black guy and he's gonna kill us and they're gonna make it so that we can never see a doctor again and people are getting like really really afraid so this is, this had been going on since the summer before the summer of 2009 when a lot of reps went back to their home district and had very heated uh, town halls with their constituents. So the writing was on the wall and Democrats knew what the poll numbers were. They knew that ACA was not popular. It has since become very popular um, and that's why it's been saved. But back then, you know, to, to Nancy Pelosi's credit, she kind of quelled the fears of of her caucus who were complaining to her that they were going to lose their seats if they voted for this and she said it is not your job to further your own career here it is your job to enact policies that will better the lives of americans she was like this is a suicide vest and we're strapping ourselves to it and i think that's again that is like probably the bravest thing she's ever done in her career and it is yeah, it's 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 one of the kind of parts of her myth now. So the Senate is able to they are able to get it through a with, reconciliation with budget reconciliation, which only requires 50 votes instead of 60. Um, and but that can only be used with matters directly tied to the budget, which this was. Um, but it passes. It becomes the law of the land. And again, it was really in huge thanks to her and her work on this. Um, so, yeah, that was uh, that was the good. But she brought it back from the dead. She pushed it through and it showed, I think, a level of courage and spine that yeah. a lot of people are really wishing that she was exhibiting today. Yeah. And I think that that's been just the biggest disappointment about her today is that 
when she was running for speaker for a second time, this is the Nancy Pelosi that a lot of us were thinking of. This we were like, this is this is the bulldog that we want in our in our corner, hopefully. But she is, you know. And so before we go into like Nancy of today, the Nancy of today, and the progressive criticism of Nancy Pelosi, um, you know, a few other really cool things that she has done. Um, 2010 was an insane year politically. You had um, at the beginning of the year, the Citizens United case, uh, Citizens United versus FEC was decided um, that basically opened the floodgates for big money in, in political campaigns in politics. Um, and then ACA was passed and then Dodd-Frank was passed and Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed. Uh and those were all huge achievements for Democrats. Oh, also, here's another cool thing that she did. So George W. Bush and his campaign um, was running on privatizing Social Security. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and so he was had this plan to like um, make it so that people could put part of their Social Security into stocks and bonds and basically so kill Social gross. Security yeah. over the long term. And so um, Nancy Pelosi really led the opposition to that. And George she, W. Bush tried yeah. to get us to soft ghost Social Security. Yeah. Fuck off. Yeah. And so she was able to get in the House near unanimous Democratic opposition to George W. Bush's plan. Yeah. Which was hard. I yeah. mean, she's like... She was forceful with people and she was good at having conversations with people to really get things done. Also a vocal opponent of the Iraq war when not a lot of people were. Absolutely. Um, but I mean, all of this made her just absolutely public enemy number one for Republicans. Um, and that especially came to fruition after it became clear that she is the reason ACA passed. Um, so after Citizens United was decided, um, there was a lot of new money in politics. And, and you know how new money is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so gauche. <laughs> so gauche. This is me when I get $100. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but basically there were you know, Republicans were scrambling. They knew that they had a lot of energy on their side and that ACA was not popular. And so the Koch brothers are, are faves. Um, uh, Short Kings, the Koch brothers. Um, the Ben Shapiro of <laughs> billionaires. I don't know how tall they are, but they are definitely politics. in personality yeah. Short Kings. Yes. Um, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, they hired a strategist, uh, this guy named Sean Noble, to uh, kind of handle their money and tell them where to spend it in campaigns. And they realized that Obama was still too popular to go after. And um, so I'm just going to quote this from uh, Jane Mayer's Dark Money. Uh, Sean Noble said this. Uh, we made a deliberate recommendation that you got to focus on the House, Noble later told National Review. That's where this bill passed. Pelosi broke so many arms of Democrats that had no business voting for that bill. And I think that's been, again, that was another, another thing that she did that she really got even the most conservative blue dogs in her caucus to vote for this bill, um, knowing, you know, knowing full well what would happen. And as a result, you know, they started this massive attack campaign on her, basically running that at a national level, anyone running at state, local, they tied her, it, they tied any Democrat to her, 
um, and it was very effective. And as a result, in 2010, in the midterms, Democrats lost 63 seats in the House and six in the Senate, but they lost the chamber and they no longer had Nancy Pelosi lost her speakership. So this has been a theme, um, not just the attack ads against Nancy Pelosi um, that show her being an older woman, which is very scary to people. A lot of I mean, I, I remember growing up just hearing a lot of commentary yeah. about her looks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think we can see some similarities in the way that Hillary Clinton was vilified, you know, like, yeah. um, I, and I don't mean like a kind of thoughtful, progressive critique or, you know, like what AOC is doing, um, wanting to pass progressive policies and finding out that Pelosi is the obstacle, but like literally just pictures of her frowning and like, yeah. you know, voices that make it sound like she's Satan or whatever. And like yeah. calling her Mussolini and a yeah. So a lot of people in the Democratic Party even. Which I do think that we should be allowed to insult Italians. Yes. Uh, I want to come out hey, hard Hey, I'm Italian. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think it's fair. Uh, my I people think, are gross. <laughs> we sweat. We have weird hairs places. Yeah. I think Italians are the only people we should be able to punch down at. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I think even a lot of people within the Democratic Party uh, over the years really started to see Nancy Pelosi as a liability, you yeah. know, and like in the 28 midterms a lot of people both well they use the same strategy against again any any anyone running as a democrat for congress was had an attack ad leveled against them that even if they didn't even support nancy pelosi and a lot of people had to come out well they didn't have to but a lot of people chose to come out and say like i'm not voting for her i won't i won't support her speakership so you had you know people who were in more purple districts or even you know districts that donald trump had won who had to come out and say that they would not support her for speaker uh just to kind of ensure their own victory and one of those people was you know to use an example one of those people was abigail spanberger who was running in virginia's seventh district um not not my favorite lady herself, former CIA lady. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, she, Pelosi basically got a very robust right flank coming for her after, um, after Dems won back, won back the house, yeah. uh, led by Seth Moulton, my problem child from Massachusetts, sixth district. Seth Moulton co- comes across in this whole thing like such a fucking baby. He is like, he just comes off so entitled and like he's throwing a tantrum because for some reason he hasn't been put on good committees or like that's something that he's basically like throwing a a tantrum that Nancy Pelosi didn't put him on good committees or didn't put him, didn't kind of push him along for leadership. And he's like, Oh, I'm a vet and I went to an Ivy league school. Give me my power. But yeah, Seth Bolton's a little bitch and I will primary him one day. Uh, <laughs> so Tim Ryan is running against her for speaker and he has the support of a lot of these Democrats and swing districts. And, you know, it's not enough to. It was not that. It ended yeah. up being like 18 of them or well, something. Yeah, I mean, so there was a lot of people who said that they weren't going to vote for Nancy Pelosi. And even some of them did vote for yeah. Nancy Pelosi. She didn't have enough votes to 
like nobody else had enough votes to become speaker of the house um but it had some of these people who originally said that they weren't supporting her like if they all didn't support her then yeah it would have been like unclear who the yeah. speaker was gonna be like there was yeah so yeah, the point is is that it's it's interesting that she has repeatedly gone after the progressive wing of the party the squad the squad yeah. uh our gals um because they they all supported her for yeah speaker. ilhan like, omar aoc ayanna presley and rashida talib um they did all support her speakership and you know and part of that is because there wasn't a progressive challenger you yeah. know like if, if aoc said well if barbara lee was running but she's not running yeah right so like there wasn't nancy pelosi was one of two people running and she was the most progressive person mm-hmm. um so they supported her and maybe also for other reasons as well but um yeah i think it is notable that nancy pelosi she's going after people who were on her side with this one yeah and she really has just it just seems like she's lost her backbone and forgotten her progressive roots i think in a lot of ways so speaking of her backbone there was a group of activists in san francisco who literally delivered a spine to her office that rocks yes um <laughs> yeah well, back when she was minority leader um in 2016 oh okay. yeah yeah they, to oppose trump i don't believe that nancy pelosi is as some people put it playing three-dimensional chess with donald trump i think weirdly she is kind of one of the only people that he seems to like be slightly afraid of and like i don't know there yeah, he doesn't have a nickname for her he just calls her nancy yeah their yeah. their dynamics their dynamic is very interesting Um, so let's talk about some ways that she's done this so one way that she's done this is she when she said the when she when the house was voting on the rules for this 116th congress yeah this year starting Um, in january she proposed paygo which is pay as you go which means that um no nothing that involves spending um, can be passed if it's not offset uh, by tax hikes or spending cuts elsewhere. So what this means is like there's no way that something like Medicare for all or the Green New Deal could be passed right now yeah. because a lot of the things that leftists are proposing are things that would involve a lot of spending and leftist economists, I think, see... I mean, it's uh, it's garbage. It's just like it. it's kind of... It's an extension of austerity policies and it's... It's a decades old fight that we've been having in Congress about the debt ceiling and the national debt. Yeah, I mean, I think leftist economists see something like Medicare for all or the Green New Deal as something that would really benefit the U.S. economy um, in the long term. But we're currently spending more on healthcare than any other country, Western country in the world, and we have worse outcomes for it. Yeah. Um, so yes, and but for Pelosi, she specifically proposed Pago as a way to like mollify the critics who are saying like, oh yeah, the Democratic Party is the party of like big spending, you yeah. know. So she's like putting this forward to appeal to the centrists. I think that she like Hillary Clinton, you could say, has internalized a lot of the criticisms that she's received over the decades from the right and now is the person that you 
see today but i just i just well that i think that i think that's true i think some of it's internal but i think some of it is external some of it is like a lot nancy pelosi is always somebody who has believed that big donor fundraising is very important to the democratic party and because because historically it always has been the idea of just small donor donations is a relatively new phenomenon and i think for 90 percent of nancy pelosi's career that was how it was done it wasn't right obviously and we need to get all big money out of politics but it's i mean this is a problem with her speakership is that she knows one way of doing things and she is not the speaker for this time that this time demands i should say so some other things that she's done that people are mad about um she is not in favor of impeaching trump uh, she says that he is self-impeaching which i'm not really sure what that means he's self-impeaching. he's he's self he, she said he is self-impeaching every day um which is not a good again it's just like do your fucking job democrats should pursue impeachment of trump however even if they did he would absolutely use that as a weapon i think to sail to re-election in the same in a very similar way that nixon did nixon weaponized um being quote persecuted um but i mean his impeachment ended up leading to his resignation so if we're gonna use that as a parallel then we should be pursuing impeachment yeah i mean i think that there's also the case to be made that like you know people have like the i think for nancy pelosi she sees like the 2018 victories and the fact that Democrats were able to take back the house, like she sees it as like, Oh, you know, we were able to do it by appealing to moderates. And so like, we have to keep chasing these moderates. But I think that there's another case to be made that like people were so mad at Trump, you know, that they went and voted for Democrats and then it's like, okay, they gave Democrats power, but then like, are you, are you using it? You know? And so, so this is one reason that progressives are mad at her. Um, Yeah. And the, it should be said that the, the midterm win was largely a rebuke of Trump. And so the first thing we should have done probably is pursuing impeachment because that was the whole basis of the blue wave. So DACA recipients and immigration activists have also been mad at Nancy Pelosi. Um, The DREAM Act uh, is a bill that would allow people who came to the United States as children to continue living here. Obama signed an executive order, DACA, that you may have heard about that gave people not legal status, but things like the ability to work and get driver's license a, and just basically it was a, a deferral. Yeah, basically, yeah, d- deferred action for childhood arrivals, mm-hmm. and basically made it so that people could like have lives and didn't have to live in the shadows and could go to college and drive. Show that, and, show that they were paying yeah. taxes. Show that they were contributing to society in the hopes of creating a pathway to citizenship. And Nancy Pelosi does support the Dream Act, but. She wanted to work with Republicans on it and basically put it in like a larger um, border bill, like, you know, increase border security and like, 
maybe allow a lot of Trump's more horrific actions on immigration and DACA recipients and immigration activists were really mad. They were protesting outside her office because basically like, you know, you can't protect us like at the expense of deporting our parents. That's mm -hmm. not what we want. You know, and she didn't really respond to that very thoughtfully. You know, it was very much like this kind of brush off of like, you know, well, I'm on your side. And like, you know, if you want to get mad at somebody, I think she actually said basically like, if you want to be mad at somebody, be mad at Republicans. But she she showed a willingness to cooperate with Republicans on this issue um, where a lot of people were calling for her to just pass a clean dream act. And so that's one thing that really made people mad. Um, also, uh, she has not endorsed single payer health care. She's she opposes it. Yeah. Um, she specifically said um, that she uh, wants Democrats to stay in the center. Like she refers to the progressive members of her party as like five people. She yeah, she said. So I think that what she said could be interpreted in two ways, but she, she basically said that our job when we got reelected is to hold the center. And you could take that as holding the country together being that we are, it's an old Yates quote. You know? <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, no, it is. I think she's referencing Yates. Um, I think she's doing both. I think she's talking about fall as, apart. The center will not hold. Yeah. I think, yeah. She, yeah I think I mean, she's giving yeah. it us as a, a metaphor and a strategy. Yeah. So, yeah, but I think it's a very if you want if you want to take the more kind of like pointed interpretation of it, it's like we have to throw every ball down the middle. She's ridiculed certain things um, that we don't like her to ridicule. Um, she's ridiculed the push to abolish ICE. Mm -hmm. um, she um, instead of uh, supporting the Green New Deal. Like, actually, she said that she won't bring it for a vote. You know, she says, like, she theoretically supports it. But the extra step that AOC um, and the Sunrise Movement and other climate activists want her to take is to, like, come out and say, like, hey, the fossil fuel industry is wrecking the planet and Democrats should not be taking money from them. And she will not take that step. Mm -hmm. um, and part of the reason that she won't take that step is because... She wants Democrats to be able to keep taking money from the fossil fuel industry. And I think like, you know, for a lot of people, including myself, it's like, uh, okay, we don't really have a lot of time yeah. to deal with climate change. I mean, scientists are saying that we have 10 years, five years, and maybe now is not the time to be stalling on this. Yeah. It's like we have to make enormous changes in 12 years and it's looking, you know, with our current leadership, it's looking less and less likely that that is going to happen. Um, and yeah, I mean, pay as you go is essentially ensuring that the Green New Deal will not be brought to a vote. So Nancy Pelosi feels like it's very important for Democrats to hold the center, moderate voters. And maybe in some ways, 
That's true, right? Like there are some districts where that is true. And Abigail Spanberger is that's true. I don't think an AOC would have. I don't know. I don't. I don't know that. AOC. Let's just post that in everybody's Facebook (laughs) comments. Well, I mean, so like I actually know that guy Lee Carter. I guess is from Virginia. Yeah, who was elected to the state legislature was a DSA guy. So I think that there's two sides to this. Like I think that there's two points of view on this, and and I personally land on the side of like we can't really know which one of these is right now. So like there's kind of the the traditional and I'm talking about like not from politicians anymore I'm talking about like let's say people on Twitter so Mm -hmm. there's the people that are like yeah of course we have to get these moderate voters you know like we can't nominate someone like too progressive um and the Democratic Party can't move too much to the left because we'll lose these centrist voters um and then there's another point of view, which is like, what is even a centrist or a democratic socialist? Like the policies that AOC um, is pursuing are broadly popular. Very popular. Like things like bigger taxes for millionaires, healthcare for everybody. Like these things. There are literally billionaires yeah. coming out in support of their own taxes being raised. Yeah. So like the needle has shifted on this. So I think... A lot of people think that when Nancy Pelosi talks about um, a centrist approach, finding the middle ground, that what she's talking about is a center for donors, like Mm -hmm. in the center of what donors would want. And it's actually pretty out of out of touch with the will of most voters. Yeah, no, absolutely. To her credit, she put all four of those um, progressive women on high-ranking committees um and she controls all the committee assignments and she made sure that their voices were heard on these big committees you know she didn't stick any of them on like transportation or whatever right Um, money committees money committees so let's talk about what's been going on lately with nancy pelosi and aoc as well as the rest of the squad ilhan omar rashida Tlaib, and ayanna presley and i think also kate you and i are in the squad are we in the squad? We're in the squad. I think we want to be in the squad, but I think we're like comedians. Like, I don't think that you can get in the squad by like just well, like talking about your sex life in a microphone, which is too bad because like I have enormous respect for these women <laughs> and like it would be nice to feel like I was making a real difference in the world. But <laughs> well, in my mind, I'm in the squad and that's my squad. Yeah. So <laughs> she's been very at odds with the progressive members of the house. And the way that this came up initially on Twitter a few weeks ago was that um, these four women were the only members of the House to vote against the border funding bill. And that is because why should we give more money to the Trump administration for concentration camps? And, you know, somebody like Pelosi and the other people that voted for it were like, okay, well, you know, they need money to, like, give people toothbrushes and then Rashida Slave is like they have fucking toothbrushes like there's the money is not the problem money well, is not the problem with what's going on here it is I mean it is partially the problem because those facilities were made were not were not made to hold people for long amounts of time and it I mean they are concentration camps and they are not a lot of them are not being given toothbrushes or soap right and that but that's was, but that's not because it's a money issue oh sure yeah no no, no absolutely yeah. but it's like no, it's because it's because they're torturing people on purpose. Yeah, and these this administration to, is full of fucking tyrants. Yeah, to throw you know meat to racists, and also because they want people to quote self deport. Yeah, like, 
basically even the, worse than self-impeachment <laughs> yeah uh the i mean yeah uh the squad basically just i think their ideal bill would have just been a purely humanitarian bill aimed at kind of dismantling the camps yeah and that's what we should all want Yes. And this bill that the House passed, like it didn't include any protections for the children, like it didn't include any humanitarian guidelines for like and you know, multiple children have died in ICE custody mm-hmm. at this point. Um, there has been basically there was a more again, there was a more liberal House version, but Pelosi ended up just capitulating and accepting the more conservative Senate version. And that's what they voted on. That's what she brought to the floor was the Senate version. Um, And, you know, again, this is as much Chuck Schumer's fault as it is hers, but she, she has not had a backbone on this. So some of the reason that people don't blame Chuck Schumer as much is because he's a man and that's definitely real. But some of the reason that Chuck Schumer hasn't been blamed as much for this as he should be, of course, but what, part of the reason Pelosi's getting more heat is because she's been way more vocal. Like she went and had a weird lunch with Maureen Dowd where for some reason she talked like hella shit about these <laughs> women um, in the New York times, which I don't know if she knows that it's not like a, it's not like one of those places that you just talk to if you like don't yeah. want people to know something. Yeah. And she said some truly wild shit that I think is pretty reflective of her point of view about it at this point. Hold on, I'm going to pull up some she, quotes. At one point, she said, if they don't think I'm progressive, fine. Uh, I, th- I think that is something that gets under her skin because she has for her whole career been kind of vilified as like, uh, basically like by the right as like a Marxist and she's not, but, um, but yeah, she, I think she just feels like incensed now that people are questioning her, her progressive credentials, which they have every right to. So she said some truly wild shit in this piece. She said, if the left doesn't think I'm left enough, so be it, which Julia just, you were just mentioning. And then here's the really funny part. As I say to these people come to my basement I have these signs about single payer from 30 years ago, and which it's funny because I just couldn't read this without thinking about the Melissa Etheridge song. <laughs> Come to my basement. <laughs> yeah, and it's, you know, it's like, uh, is Nancy Pelosi an incel? Yes. Yeah. Um, and she said... Uh, she had five kids in six years. She probably swore off sex for the rest of her life yeah. after that. She said, we have a responsibility to get something done, which is different from advocacy. We have to have a solution, not just a Twitter fight. Um, yeah, she's repeatedly dismissed AOC uh, as somebody who doesn't have broad support. She just has like a, a large following on Twitter and she has like a level of contempt for social media, which I guess we do too. I mean, we we're just talking about our contempt for social media, but at the same time, like the president of the United States main way of communicating is with his supporters tw- is, is Twitter. Yeah. Like this is not, and I think when people call Nancy Pelosi old, you know, like a lot of it is just sexist, but a lot of it like is this real resistance to embracing the way that young people see politics and the mm-hmm. way that young people are learning about politics, which is a lot of the time through social media, which is small dollar fundraising. And she's like really adamant that we have to do things this old way, you know, and 
I think maybe feels very threatened by AOC and Ilhan Omar. Can we talk a little bit about yeah. the way that she's treated Ilhan Omar? Yeah. Uh, God, that whole. So Trump tweeted a video of Ilhan Omar talking about 9-11. And what Ilhan Omar was talking about was the way that Muslims and people of color were vilified broadly in the Bush administration, in the Bush administration over policed. And Ilhan Omar was just talking about how, um, a terrible event happened and then it was used to like vilify a whole race and a whole religion. And, um, Trump, he tweeted like a little video of her saying some people did something, which was like a, a sentence that was in like really took it out of context. Yeah. It was, it was like so out of context. And I think, you know, to any person who watched the entire speech, like it was very obvious that Ilhan Omar was being extremely respectful. Pelosi did not stand up for her, you know, and that was, and, and not only did she not stand up for her, she continues to come after Ilhan Omar um, and these other women of color in the house at a time when they are receiving tons of death threats yeah. and they're being like vilified by the right in a way that's like dangerous for their lives. And AOC, AOC actually talked about it. And we have a, we have a clip where she talks about it. How they're interpreting and carrying it to another place is up to them. But I'm not going to be discussing it any further. But AOC is. It's singling out four individuals. Um, and knowing the media environment that we're operating in, knowing the amount of death threats that we get, knowing the amount of, of concentration of attention, I think it's just it's it's wor just worth asking why. Yeah, Pelosi has started a war with the progressive members of the House, and it's just like, it's really unclear why. I don't know if I want to go that far. Okay, well, like I would say that she has. Like, I would say that she is, like, fighting the progressive side of the Democratic Party, like, almost as much or more she's than she's fighting Republicans. She's, I mean, she's definitely picked the wrong flank of her party to fight because the people who tried to replace her were conservatives right conservative democrats not the progressive flank i also think that like the media is fanning the flames of this so much because they love to see women fight yeah that's definitely true as well but i think that nancy pelosi is also fanning the flames of this because she's throwing these women under the bus as a way to like make a statement about like oh don't worry the democratic party isn't this the democratic party is actually the center mm -hmm. left and it's not these people they're they're friends there's four of them she has to go big tent and she thinks that the way to do that is to be more centrist when in fact the way to go big tent is to pursue policies that will help a lot help of people. more people yeah and those are more inherently more progressive policies so anyways, Nancy's very complicated, obviously. All right. So, um, yeah, we want a woman who can go all the way. And I'm sure that uh, a lot a of people want that. Go all the way including, around all the bases. Yeah, including incels. Um, <laughs> but Chuck Schumer sucks. He sucks Chuck way Schumer more. Chuck Schumer sucks so much. Yeah. That's what that's the takeaway from today's yeah. episode is that Chuck Schumer sucks. Um, all right. 
this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening to the show. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, we already have a few reviews up and thank you guys so much for, for writing those. Um, it really means a lot. And thank you to everyone who's given us such great feedback about the show. Uh, keep it coming. We love to hear from you and we just appreciate you so much for listening. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to Reply Guys. The show is hosted by Kate Willett and me, Julia Clare. Our producer is Genevieve Garrity. Our theme song was performed by Emily Fremgen, who wrote the song with Kate Willett. Our artwork is by Adrian Lobel. If you want to find us on Twitter, we're at Kate Willett with two L's and two T's, and I'm at O Julia Tweets, O H Julia Tweets, and Twitter is where you can also find our Reply Guys. They are always with us. went walking that ribbon of highway, I saw above me that endless skyway. I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. This land is your land. This land is your land.